So a couple years ago, I was on a missions trip in inner city Dallas working with uh, the Dallas Metro Dream Center. And I remember as we were going through uh, a projects uh, area, uh, housing complex, similar to what the Dream Center team described from their Los Angeles trip. I remember as we're walking through this housing projects, a certain noise that I began to hear as we're walking around and uh, inviting kids to an outreach program. And the noise was the kids, and they were saying something like, Ooh, look who it is! And I was like, who is it? And you know, looking around, didn't know what in the world these kids were talking about. But I, I continued occasionally uh, just to hear this as we're walking. And, and as we continue to go, I began looking behind me, like, who is it? Who, who in the world are they talking about? Um, and then I began to hear... Uh, as the group got a little bit larger, I began to hear these chants and these shouts, and they continued to say, oh, look who it is, Big Show, Big Show. And I was like, what in the world is Big Show? And I was thinking, who are, who are they talking about? What is this Big Show? Um, but as we continued walking, all of a sudden I noticed the crowd following us getting bigger and bigger. I continued to hear, oh, look, Big Show, it's Big Show. I realized these kids were actually talking about me. <laughs> and I found out that Big Show is a WWE wrestler. I had to actually Google who that is because I didn't know who it is. And these kids in the inner city Dallas thought the wrestler Big Show had come to the projects to meet these kids. And um, I had no idea who this was. Some of you are already doing a Google search to figure it out. It's awesome. And I tell you, I really don't want to look like Big Show. To tell you the truth, I definitely don't want to dress the way that Big Show dresses most of the time. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever had someone tell you that you look like someone and then you see that person that they think you look like and you're like, uh, thanks, but no thanks. You know, like, I really hope I don't look like that person. I mean, there's some people that, that people can tell you you look like and it's flattering, right? But Big Show is not one of them, I can tell you that much. And I remember another time as a much younger youth pastor, I was about maybe 23 or 24 years old at the time, and there was a girl in our youth group, her name was Amy, God bless her. And uh, uh, she was about 13 years old at the time, and I remember her telling me, uh, Pastor Matt, you're, you're pretty fun, you're a pretty cool guy for your age. And I thought, okay, that's, you know, awesome. She said, in fact, you're so cool, I think you're the coolest person over 30 years old that I know. And I was about 23 years old at the time. And um, I was, it took everything inside of me not to say, thanks, Amy, you're the coolest nine-year-old that I know. Uh, but I didn't do that. Um, here's the thing, mistaken identity isn't always fun. And we don't like it when people make false assumptions about us. In fact, sometimes when people meet us and they don't remember us the next time they see us, that can be hurtful, right? I mean, don't you remember me? Don't you know who I am? Or, or even when people don't notice big changes in your life, right? It's the husband that doesn't notice when uh, his wife cut her hair. It's the coach that doesn't recognize that you spent the summer working out and you put on 20 pounds of muscle. It's the potential boss that doesn't recognize your accomplishments and the success that you've experienced in your industry. It's the mother-in-law that doesn't respect who you are and what you do because no one, frankly, is good enough for her child. It's the waiter that mistakenly assumes that you're seven years older than you are and gives you the senior citizen discount that you're obviously too, much, too young to receive. Now, maybe these things aren't all that important to you, but most people don't like mistaken identity. 
And we don't like it when people don't recognize who we are or what we've accomplished. And I wonder, I wonder if Jesus ever felt that way. After feeding 5,000 families from a boy's sack lunch, after healing someone that was born blind, after doing all these miraculous things, I wonder if he got frustrated after those miraculous moments when people still doubted his deity. I wonder if he was ever tempted to look at someone and tell them how wrong they were in their assumption. As we approach Easter, we're going to take an up-close look at who Jesus is and the difference that he makes. I'm so excited about these, this series. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at people that Jesus encountered on the way to the cross and the difference that that encounter with Jesus made on their lives. We're going to look at what makes Jesus so different from every other leader, every other religious figure, and why it is that Christians are so convinced that he is the Son of God. And over these four weeks, we'll also hear from some people that you may know and recognize, and we'll hear the difference that Jesus has made in their lives. These next four weeks, I'm praying and believing God that we're going to see people discover the difference that Jesus makes. And I've been asking God, and I hope that you've been asking God as well, to see some people that you know make a decision for Christ. I hope that you're making prayer lists and you're taking the invite cards that are in the seats when you came in and that you're, you're praying over those cards and you're sharing Facebook posts because I believe that our city is full of people that are asking the question, what difference does Jesus make? And they may not even be asking the question. They may just be making a statement. Really, what difference does Jesus make? And I hope that you'll be praying for them and that you'll invite them to discover for themselves exactly what the difference it is that Jesus makes. Our culture doesn't know, but we can share it with them. And Jesus is big enough that he can handle that question. I don't believe that he gets upset when we ask tough questions. We shouldn't be upset when people ask tough questions. In fact, it's an incredible opportunity for us to give an answer. And that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. I encourage you to invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers and your family members and your friends to come and ask the question. Next week is, is Palm Sunday, and it's going to be so good. We're having three services, um, and this impacts you a little bit because our normal 830 service will stay the same. We won't have a Bible class between the services. We'll have a 10 a.m. service next week. And then if you normally like to come to this service, just know that uh, you don't want to show up at 11 o'clock. You either have to make a choice of coming at 11.30, you get 30 more minutes to prepare or whatever, uh, sleep in, however it may be, or you come earlier for the 10 o'clock service. But we're going to have three services to accommodate uh, the people that we believe that God is going to bring as we're, we're beginning this series. And we're preparing a worship experience that's going to be powerful. It's going to take us on a journey following Jesus' final days on earth. And then after each service, we're going to have an inflatable bounce house, an Easter egg hunt. We've, uh, thanks to generous volunteers that, that dedicated their time this week, we stuffed over 1,100 eggs. We're going to have pictures with the Easter bunny, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and why are we doing that? Is it because Easter is all about the bunny and the eggs and the candy? No, that's not the purpose. It's because if we can stuff some eggs and give away some candy in exchange for the opportunity to share what Easter and Jesus is all about, then it's worth it. It's worth it. So we're asking you to take these invite cards and to be in prayer and to begin to invite people. And maybe there are people that would never wander into this church on Palm Sunday. They just wouldn't do it. 
Not for a service, not for a Palm Sunday service, but maybe because of your invitation, maybe because of the Easter Bunny, maybe because of candy and eggs and prizes and inflatable. I don't care what the reason is. Maybe they just happen to come, and God uses that as a tool to reach their hearts. And if the Easter Bunny is what draws people to church so they can hear about Jesus and the real meaning of Easter, then it's worth it. It's worth a little bit of time. It's worth a little bit of investment for us to be able to have that opportunity to share Jesus with people that we wouldn't be able to do that with otherwise. And so maybe, maybe just maybe, the people that wouldn't wander into church on a Palm Sunday, they would come if they hear that there's a church in the community that loves their city and that welcomes everyone. And there, maybe there's just some people in your life that are curious about Christianity. Or maybe they're looking for purpose in their life or, or people maybe that are new to town and have yet to find a home church. Some people that maybe have had a bad experience in the past with church but would accept an invitation to try it again if that invitation came from someone that they knew and trusted. So I hope that you'll invite some people that are around you to come be a part of this series. Don't wait for Easter to begin. Invite them now. And that, in fact, that's why we had people pull out their phones and check in on Facebook and, and like our social media stuff. Because maybe, maybe God's going to use you to hand out a card to a neighbor. And I've always said the greatest way to do that is with a, a plate of fresh baked cookies. That would win me over every time, right? Two and that'll win your neighbor's. That way, so yeah, that's wrong. it. A whole plate of them. Or maybe God uses you to just press share on a Facebook event and you don't know how many people are going to see that. You don't know who's going to respond, how it's going to come. Maybe it's just saying, hey, you know what? Our family has, has two extra seats in our car to church. If you need a ride to church next week, let me know. I'd be glad to pick you up. God can use any of those things. And so I encourage you, begin to invite and see what God will do. So today we're going to kick off this series with a story from John 11 with Mary and Martha and and. This is a story where they asked a what difference question to Jesus. We find the story in John chapter 11, verse 1. You can follow along in a real Bible that has pages that you turn or a digital Bible on, on the Bible app. Uh, we're under the live events section there if you want to follow along. There's actually our scriptures already uh, pre-programmed in there and, and uh, all the sermon points that you can follow along. It'll also be up on the screen. So I encourage you to follow along with us from John chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now sick, is the same one who poured perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed with them where he, he stayed where he was for two more days. We'll go down to verse 11. It says this. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He's talking to the disciples. But I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, Thomas was one that's always known in the Bible for his great faith, right? <laughs> the reason that he said this is because this is an area that Jesus had recently left. And they actually tried to kill Jesus when he was there. They tried to stone him with large stones. And so Thomas is saying, yeah, let's just go back to the very place that we just left that they tried to kill you, Jesus. Let's all go together and just die because Lazarus is already dead. So we might as well die also. 
Great guy. One you always want on your team. It says this in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. See, Mary doesn't initially run out. Mary stays inside. Martha runs to Jesus and says what Mary was probably thinking as well inside the house. If you had only been here, Jesus. In fact, in verse 32, it tells us that when Mary did finally go out to Jesus, she said the exact same thing. It was exactly what was in her heart as well. In other words, what Mary and Martha are saying to Jesus is, what difference does it make that you're here now, Jesus? You're too late. Lazarus is already dead. I want to talk to you today about the difference that Jesus makes to dead men. Some of you may remember back about 16 years ago, there was an avid outdoorsman by the name of Aaron Ralston. While Aaron was descending a canyon in Utah, he dislodged a boulder which crushed his hand, pinning it against the canyon wall. Aaron was trapped for 127 hours. Could you imagine? Trapped alone in the middle of a canyon for 127 hours with your hand pinned into the canyon by a boulder. Over five days, he had very little food, very little water, not enough for five days, certainly. Ultimately, he resorted to the only thing that he thought would save his life. He had to amputate his own arm in order to free himself. And he survived the ordeal and went on to write a book, and there's a movie made about him as well. I tell you this because a man who's trapped is able to find a way out, even after 127 hours. But a man who's dead is in a different position. There's no hope for a dead man. He can't move. He can't feel. He can't act. While there's life, there's hope. But when that life is gone, the situation is completely hopeless. That's at least what Mary and Martha thought. That's why Martha said, Jesus, if, if you'd only been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. How many times do we do that? Jesus, if, if you'd only have intervened, if you'd only have done something about this situation. But Mary and Martha didn't realize the difference that Jesus makes. And many people in our world don't either. When I drive around our city and walk on the campus, I see dead people. What do you mean by that? Well, well, the Bible doesn't tell us that we're trapped in our sins. It doesn't tell us that we're weak because of our sin. In Ephesians 2.1, it says that we are dead in our trespass and sin. You and I and every one of us here, the dead people that are walking around our city, they're not just in need of getting out of predicament. They're not just trapped. Without Jesus, they're dead in their sins. Mary and Martha didn't really know, like many people in our city, don't really know the difference that Jesus makes. Check out what it, what it says in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, and whoever believes, who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha answered, but she really answered the wrong question, not at all the question that Jesus asked. She said, well, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come to the world. Skip down to verse 34. Jesus asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he not have opened, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? You see, Mary and Martha, they thought that they knew Jesus. He was a friend. The Bible tells us that he loved Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. But they didn't know Jesus in the way that they were about to know him. 
The crowd didn't know the difference that Jesus made. It says in verse 39, Jesus instructed them, take away the stone. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There are three things that I want to share with you today about the difference that Jesus makes to dead men. The first of those is that Jesus is painfully aware. It tells us in verse 14 that Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is not unaware of the situation that you find yourself in. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus about Lazarus, and it almost appears as if it doesn't matter to him. Oh, he replies that, that this will not end in death, but he stays where he was for two more days before he even leaves. It would seem that either Jesus didn't realize the severity of the situation, or worse, that he doesn't care, but Jesus knew. He was painfully aware of exactly what was going on. It wasn't that Jesus didn't know. It certainly wasn't that Jesus didn't care. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't aware of the situation. There was something bigger going on. Have you ever really wondered, how much does God know? How much does God really know? I know, I know we all know the Sunday school answer to that question. Well, God knows everything. But really, have you wondered, what is it that God knows that we don't know? They say that without a telescope, you can only see about 3,000 stars from any point on Earth. Scientists estimate that the universe contains at least 70 sextillion stars. For those of you that are not, you know, any smarter than me, because I had no idea, that's 70,000 million, million, million. Or in other words, that's seven followed by 22 zeros. Or 10 times the number of grains of sand on Earth. Psalms 147.4 tells us that God counts the number of the stars. He gives names to them all. And we have trouble keeping track of three kids' names, right? <laughs> Name them all the same letter so you can just say whatever, you know. Peter Parker, Preston, whatever. Not only that, but God counts the numbers of hairs on every person's head in the world. I'm trying to help him out, keep it easy for him. But <laughs> Jesus said, indeed, the very number hairs of your head are numbered. If God knows that much, he certainly knows what you and I and Mary and Martha and Lazarus are going through. But we often feel like the little boy that was sitting and staring at a framed picture of his father who's been away on military duty for some time now. The boy began to cry and, and the mother sees that he's upset and asks him, what's wrong? And the boy responded, I miss daddy. And I want him to come out of the frame. Have you ever felt that way with your relationship with God? Like he's disconnected from the situations of your life and you just want him to come out of the frame. I just wish he'd come out of the picture and come into my life and do what he needs to do. How many times have we questioned God and wondered why he's not answered our prayers? How many times have we asked, God, aren't you aware of what's going on down here? Do you even care? I want you to know today that unanswered prayer doesn't mean that God isn't aware or that he doesn't care. Unanswered prayers don't mean that God doesn't want to do something for us. Sometimes it means he wants to do something in us. If God can bring blessing from something as obscene as death on a cross, then imagine what he can do with your pain and your problems. So the first temptation that we have when Jesus doesn't answer our prayers like we think he should is to suggest 
that he doesn't care or that he's not aware. And the second temptation is just to question his timing. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In fact, the story shares with us three times that people accuse Jesus of having come too late. First, Martha says that. Then Mary says the exact same thing. And then in verse 37, the Jews that were there, they asked, couldn't Jesus have kept this man from dying? If only he'd been here on time. Jesus didn't come when Mary and Martha called. They wanted to know why he was so late. Why did he delay two days before he even left, four days with Lazarus in the grave, but Jesus was precisely on time. <clears throat> Even though it would seem that he intentionally delayed going to where he could have helped Lazarus, he waited two days after getting the news to even leave, but he was on time. I think Dr. Sue says it best, waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night. Everyone is just waiting. I don't know many people that like waiting. Waiting's hard. So much of life is about waiting, and it seems like God's not in a hurry at all. We twiddle our thumbs, we shuffle our feet, we yawn long, we heave out heavy sighs, we fret inwardly with frustration, hoping that God will notice. Why must I have this awkward person as a roommate? How long do I have to work this dead-end job? How long do I have to put up with this stressful situation? Why am I still dealing with this situation in my health? When is God going to come through? And often God's answer is wait. Wait a while and see what I do. Wait a while. Why don't you give me just some time and see what difference I can make in my time? Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years to hold baby Isaac. Joseph waited 13 years to become a ruler in Egypt. Moses waited 40 years in Midian before returning to Egypt to lead the children of Israel. Where, where would he lead them? Into the wilderness where they'd wander around for 40 more years waiting. The woman with the issue of blood waited 12 years for her healing. The people of Israel were 400 years in bondage in Egypt waiting for Moses to get done with his 40 years so he could lead them to more 40 years. No matter how long the wait, God keeps his promises and he's on time. Not always on our time, he's on his time, but he's on time. Mary and Martha and the crowd that were there that day, they did the exact same thing that we do. God, where were you? God, if only you had been here, as if it's too late for God. God, why didn't you come when I called? But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, and he's right on time to make it happen. He told the disciples in verse 4 and 14 that Lazarus' story would not end in death, but to bring glory to God. God was up to something bigger. There was something that God wanted to do inside of his disciples. There was something that God wanted to do inside of Mary and inside of Martha and inside of Lazarus and inside of the crowd that was assembled that day. God's timing is not our timing. He's often later than we would like, but he's never late. We're really not very different in our impatience than a kid that wants what they want when they want it. How many of you got tired of hearing this week, Mom, Mom? Mom, 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 mom. <laughs> Kids want candy. Kids need broccoli. Good parents don't give kids candy every time they want it. I tell you, God hears what we want, but he knows what we need. God is always on time. He's just not always on our time. 
So not only is Jesus painfully aware of our situation, not only is he precisely on time to meet our needs, he's also perfectly able. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus asked Martha an important question. Do you believe? And Martha's answer was pretty weak. She said she believed, but she didn't believe Jesus could make a difference in her particular situation. She believed that if Jesus had been on her time, that maybe something could have happened. She believed that Jesus was able to do miracles for all kinds of people, but why wasn't he there for the one that he supposedly loved? She didn't answer his question at all. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? She believed a lot about Jesus, but she didn't believe in the difference he could make in her particular situation. In fact, they even resisted giving Jesus access to be able to do what he wanted to do because they didn't think it would make a difference. It's already too late. The stone's already been rolled across the tomb. He already has begun to seek all kinds of excuses as to why Jesus couldn't make a difference in that situation. They had completely mistaken Jesus' identity. They might as well have thought he was Big Show. But God is perfectly able. He's able beyond what we know. The word omnipotent means that God has power and ability to do anything. The Hebrew name for God, El Shaddai, speaks to his power. It means God Almighty. We see God's power in creation. We see it in salvation. And here in John 11, we see his power in resurrection. To the disciples, the trip to Bethany was needless. To Martha, the situation was hopeless. For Mary, Jesus arriving late was pointless. When they got to Lazarus' tomb, it seemed useless. Lazarus was lifeless. He was a dead man, but Jesus was relentless. He brought hope to the hopeless. He restored life to the lifeless. That's the difference that Jesus made that day, and it's the difference that he wants to make in your life. The people that God is, is, is lining up for you to be able to invite over these next four weeks, they're people that are hopeless. They're people that feel like it's useless. They're people that feel like they're alive. Lifeless. But God wants to do that in your situation as well. God wants to make a difference in their lives. That's the difference that Jesus makes to dead men today. Ephesians 2.1 says that we were dead in our transgressions and sin. But verse 12 goes on to say that we were without hope and without God in the world. But verse 4 says, because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, he made us alive in Christ. That's the hope that we have. That's the difference that Jesus makes. And it's the difference that he wants to make not only in our lives in this room, but in every person's life that we know. We try to make excuses. We, we try to prevent access for, from Jesus getting to those situations because we say, oh, it's too late. They've gone too far. It's a, if, if only earlier in their life they could have made that choice or decision. But there's nothing that's too difficult for God. He is the resurrection and the life. Many people believe that salvation is about what we do, but it's about what God has already done. Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. And we can't do anything to earn God's grace or the life that he gives us. It's a free gift. In response to that gift, yes, our lives change, and hopefully we become more like him every day of our lives. But those good things that we do aren't what causes God to give us salvation. He's already done everything that needs to happen. In Numbers 11:23, God asked Moses, is there a limit to my power? He asked him, he said, is God's arm too short? We've come to a place where we either decide that our problems are bigger than our God or our God is bigger than our problems. 
Oftentimes our biggest problem is our small view of God. And for Mary and Martha, that was it. They believed that he was Jesus. They believed he was the Son of God. They believed he was the Messiah. But their view of what that was was smaller than what it is. God's grace and power have no limits. We have to embrace the omnipotence of God. He is God Almighty. He's able to do anything. He can change the hardest of hearts. There's no situation that's impossible for him. Jesus is perfectly able. Not only in Bible times, not only for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he's still perfectly able today. And I want you to hear the difference that Jesus makes in our lives today. If you'll turn your attention to the screen. I never knew from the Lord much, or much of the motions. I will openly admit I was not a good person. Nine years ago, in May, I had drank all day, and I was two months out of my first back surgery. I walked home, took an almost full bottle of oxycodone. My girlfriend, Aaron, walked in. Literally, it could not have been 15 seconds. I still had the bottle in my hand. I showed her, I said, I just took these. She called 911, and he got me to the hospital. Got me a magic shot or whatever it is. God allowed me to live. He was not ready for this boy. And I'm so thankful, because I know if I would have died that night, I would be in hell today. God spared my life. God brought me out of my sins. I started serving the Lord at that point. See, nine years ago, God brought me out of a pit. He didn't save me in my sins. I was in a pit. I was not a nice person. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. I said, God, give me my spirit back. Give me my soft spirit. And through the last nine years, he is working on me with that. I love people. I the difference that Jesus makes to dead men because you've lived it firsthand. You know Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Those verses in Ephesians that talk about how we were dead in our sin and trespass, that we were hopeless and without God, those once may have described your life, but now you've experienced the new life that comes through relationship with Christ. You know it firsthand. And yet still I believe there's others here today that you are that dead man. It would seem to be a hopeless situation. It would seem like it's too late. It would seem like it's gone too far. 
Maybe people have told you that it's useless, that you are worthless. Maybe those are the things that you've told yourself. But today I want you to know that Jesus is standing at the foot of your grave just like he was at Lazarus that day. Doesn't matter how long you've been where you are. Jesus doesn't care how bad your life stinks. He wants you to experience the difference that he makes. The enemy comes, the Bible tells us, to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus comes for one reason, and that's for you to have life and to have it to the fullest. He is the resurrection and the life. There is nothing that's too difficult for him. Lazarus was in the grave four days. It's not too difficult. It's not too late. God desires for you to experience the resurrection and the life. He wants for you to know the life that he wants to give you, life to the fullest. And so today we're going to do what we've done, what we're going to do over the next several weeks. In each of these services, we're talking about the difference that Jesus makes. We're going to give an opportunity for anyone here that's not in a right relationship with Christ to make that decision today. And we're believing that today, just as we had in the first service, in this service, that we believe we're going to have it over the next several weeks that we're going to see people come to Christ in an incredible way, that they're going to experience firsthand the difference that Jesus makes. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite us all to pray a simple prayer. There's nothing magical or special about these words. The Bible simply says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so today I want to give you that opportunity. It's just a simple prayer. It's the first step of faith. It's the first step of putting your faith in Christ. I want to give you that opportunity here. So today, whether you walked in this place and you've prayed that prayer before, but you know that you're not in a right relationship with Christ, there's something that's separating you from your relationship with God. Or maybe maybe you've never prayed that prayer, and maybe this is the very first time. I want to invite you, along with the rest of us, to pray this simple prayer and make Jesus the Lord of your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you love me enough die on the cross for my sins. Thank you that your desire for my life is to know true life. Today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe when you died on the cross, you died for my sins. And today I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Jesus. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye still closed. If you prayed that prayer, and like I said, maybe you walked in here and you've never prayed that prayer before, you're praying it for the first time, or maybe you have, but you know that when you came in here today, you weren't in a right relationship with Christ, but you prayed that prayer and you took the first step of making Jesus the Lord of your life. If that's you, either one of those situations, would you just slip your hand up and write back down so that we can celebrate? Thank you, sir. Is there anyone else today? Thank you. Anybody else? Pray that prayer to Jesus, Lord of my life. Would you put your hands together and celebrate two lives and made a decision for Christ today?